Hello and welcome to our first ever bonus episode for the Big River Podcast, Stories of the Rio Grande. I know there have been a lot of questions about the status of Renewable Water Resources Water Export Project, or even those who may be in other parts of the state who don't know about it. So I wanted to give a rough and quick history of past water export attempts and an overview of the current proposal. I'm Bethany Howell, host of this podcast and public education participation and outreach liaison for the Rio Grande Basin Roundtable. Things have and will unfortunately continue to be rough in regards to Colorado water issues. Increased drought is a huge concern across the state. The increased number of wildfires, both in acreage and in locations throughout the state, is frankly pretty alarming. And with it all, our state continues to grow in population. Colorado came in sixth in top places to move in 2020. The need for sustainable water solutions in all areas, agricultural, industrial, recreational, environmental, and municipal, it's not going away. The Rio Grande Basin recognizes that. But communities in any basin prefer to collaborate on creating those solutions themselves rather than fighting against outside forces. This is, however, exactly the situation the San Luis Valley residents find ourselves in yet again. You might have already heard about the water export proposal happening in the San Luis Valley, or this might be news to you. Either way, awareness is the first step to understanding the complex issues of water in the Rio Grande Basin. Then I hope that you will continue to educate yourself with the resources that I'm going to talk about. And then I hope you will engage with this project, knowing the full facts and not just the sound bites floating around on the internet. This latest is just another link in a very long chain of previous water grabs that started in the early 80s. So the first one was through American Water Development Incorporated, or AWDI, which was a Canadian-owned company whose owner bought property sites in the Baca Ranch area and near Moffat and Villa Grove in Sawatch County. On December 31st, 1986, AWDI filed well applications that utilized four arguments for the legality of their export scheme. The company proposed pumping 200,000 acre feet of water and sending it to the Arkansas and Colorado River basins for later transport and sale to California, Nevada, Arizona, or the Front Range. At the time, when not as much was known about the relationship between groundwater and surface water, AWDI claimed that the water in the aquifers was non-tributary and therefore fair game, as it would theoretically not harm senior water rights. Additionally, they claimed that since groundwater would be non-tributary or not contributing to the surface water flow, it would not have to be administered in accordance with the doctrine of prior appropriation. This protects the usage of water for senior water rights holders to call for that water in the river before more junior rights. AWDI also claimed that because the wells were situated on the Baca land grant, which was granted before Colorado became a state, that the original grantee, Cabeza de Vaca, was entitled to quote-unquote perfect ownership 
of all the underground water, tributary or otherwise, and entitled to the absolute and undiminished use and disposition of all underground water, which he was able to capture through wells. Leaving aside the fact that technology to pump water was vastly different in the early 19th century, AWDI claimed that they were also entitled to use the water in this way, since their well ownership took place on Baca Grant area number four. Ultimately, AWDI was unable to prove in court through any technical data that pumping would not affect aquifers or surface water flows and thus potentially injure existing water rights. The Rio Grande Water Conservation District stepped up during this fight to protect water users' rights and the potential degradation of the aquifers and surface water, especially to ensure that AWDI would provide for any injuries to those water rights holders who might be injured by this application. So fun fact, Jarris Danielson, the then state water engineer, was asked to provide technical data and to evaluate the application. But remember his name because it's going to come up again. Another fun fact, the original application made by AWDI in court stated that they would use additional acre feet for agriculture, industrial, supplemental, and geothermal uses. They later admitted that the farm, the geothermal drilling, and brewery that were mentioned in the application for those uses were a smokescreen and that the company could not actually afford to act on this project without exporting water. It just sounded good. So data proved to be AWDI's downfall, as they could not prove that pumping such a large amount of water would not injure surface water rights. And 40 years later, the relationship between groundwater and surface water has now been extensively tracked and analyzed, especially through the Rio Grande Decision Support System. So conclusion, they are closely bound together in their behaviors, and the uses of one definitively impact the uses of the other. Moving on to the next iteration, Stockman's Water Company. Stockman's Water came on the scene about 10 years later in 1996. Gary Boyce, who is the owner of Stockman's Water Company, partnered with former state engineer Jarris Danielson. See, told you to remember his name to attempt to gain control of 150,000 acre feet. So Danielson had been previously fired, let, let go from his state engineer position um, by then governor Roy Romer after allegedly attempting to sell Colorado's water to other states or policy uh, dispute, whichever you prefer. Gary Boyce had bought part of the Baca Ranch from AWDI which then would still have stood to benefit 10% of the profits from Stockman's sale of water. There are layers upon layers here. Stockman's was blocked by court proceedings, so they decided to get political. Boyce, Danielson, and a California investor, Farallon Capital Management Incorporated, invested more than half a million dollars into pushing ballot initiatives numbers 15 and 16 for voting across the state. So let's break those down. Ballot initiative number 15 was a statute requiring well owners to use expensive and unreliable well flow meters to measure diversions. This flow meter law would require all unconfined aquifer wells in the San Luis Valley specifically to be equipped with meters certified by the state engineer and monitored monthly at the well owner's expense. 
it prohibited operation of wells if the flow meter broke, which would then have to be replaced at the owner's expense and certified by the state engineer before being allowed back in use. This statute would have affected 3,500 wells with an extremely tight timeline starting April 1st, 1999. At that time, the Colorado Division of Water Resources was severely understaffed to be able to certify wells at that level, which would have meant that many wells would have missed the 1999 irrigation season and thus their crop yield. The proposed law also only changed the status quo on well metering for San Luis Valley wells, nowhere else in the state. It also wouldn't have affected confined aquifer wells. Coincidentally, the only type of well that was owned by Gary Voice. So let's let that sit for a minute. The second initiative, number 16, would have taxed the closed basin project pretty much out of existence. Now, the closed basin project is a federal project that's been in existence since the 1965 lawsuit between Texas, Colorado, New Mexico, and Mexico. It has the first right to water pumped out of the area in order to meet Rio Grande compact obligations. Both the Closed Basin Project and the Rio Grande Compact should be totally podcast episodes of their own. There's so much information there. So if you want to read up more on those, please do, and then I'll try to address those in some later episodes. The Closed Basin Project addresses a geographic area of the valley where water flows into the basin, but then does not flow out again into the Rio Grande River, hence the Closed Basin. Colorado is required, though, to send a certain amount of water each year via the Rio Grande River to New Mexico. So any water that's allowed back into the river is a major help in meeting that obligation. So the Rio Grande Water Conservation District owns the closed basin water right, which the federal government is entitled to use. So let's go back to initiative number 16. The amendment proposed would have required the Rio Grande Water Conservation District to pay $40 per acre foot pumped from beneath state lands. It wouldn't apply to any other state lands or to any other water rights except the districts. The supposed benefits of this initiative would have supposedly put tax money into public schools. However, that was not really true because revenue from the tax would then have exceeded the limits of Tabor, which if you have lived in Colorado for any amount of time, you know that money collected has to be refunded statewide. It wouldn't have just been locally. And school funding then would have come from other state programs. The amendment would also have required the Rio Grande Water Conservation District to pay the tax plus 18% interest on any overdue amount. The amount due for the already pumped water would have exceeded around $6 million. So the kicker for both of these ballot initiatives is that they were being voted on statewide, but only affected the San Luis Valley. So no one else in the state would have had to pay for well meters or get them certified. And number 16 is also pretty awful in that it retroactively raised taxes and would have required the payment in 30 days. At the time, there was a lot of opposition, um, political, organizational, um, some pretty notable names such as State Senator Gigi Dennis, State Representative Louis Entz, Colorado State Attorney General candidate Ken Salazar, and then Governor of Colorado candidate Bill Owens were all opposed. It should also be noted that Wells were already tracking electrical usage as the accepted method 
Um, so it was not as if Wells and the San Luis Valley were just pumping willy-nilly. Boyce and his cronies were painting themselves mostly as altruists, saving the citizens of the San Luis Valley from quote-unquote thieving farmers who were keeping the water all to themselves. Jim Brandon was another partner in this scheme and a former legislator, and he claimed that farmers pumped with no regard to metering and were therefore stealing water. But obviously, you can't believe everything you hear, as Colorado law had actually changed in the 70s to require that all new well permits include terms and conditions for well metering. So after months and months of intense letter writing campaigns, speeches, meetings, on the ground hard work, the amendments were defeated 76% to 24%. And the San Luis Valley was able to breathe a sigh of relief for a few years. Now, I wish I had more time to just sit and go through both of these exports. There's so much more involved. Um, but to sum up, basically both attempts underestimated the San Luis Valley and the value of water to the Rio Grande Basin's economy and wildlife and people. The next iteration was called Sustainable Water Resources. Again, Gary Boyce, this time a little savvier about his public relations. He renamed it and gave it a more eco-friendly sound. Um, sustainable Water Resources uh, resurfaced in July 2014 and attempted to develop 35,000 acre feet annually from the confined aquifer. So the idea was they would buy water rights from willing owners and either cap the wells or retire water rights. So this time, they proposed a trans-basin diversion to the Platte River, but since the Baca Ranch is protected now as part of the Baca Wildlife Refuge, Boyce filed change of water cases to move his water rights to ranches in Villa Grove. So the changes from AWDI's attempt to now is significant. The smaller scale, from 200,000 to 35,000, there's now an element of the supposed cooperation from neighbors and people profiting from the sale um, as this was the first surfacing of a community fund of $50 million or $2 million per year for schools and kids. So during that time, apparently Douglas County was approached as buyers but expressed disinterest. They didn't want to ruin another part of the state. The Rio Grande Water Conservation District was offered $150 million to buy their cooperation the board voted against it. This attempt actually didn't last very long because Gary Boyce passed away in March 2016. But that brings me to this latest water export project, which is called Renewable Water Resources. They really went out on a limb changing the name. So this one is headed by Sean Tonner, who bought Boyce's former property. After Boyce's death, Sustainable Water Resources deeded their property back to Gary's widow, he then deeded the property back with water and grazing rights. The property, which is known as Rancho Rosado, is located in Sawatch County. Tonner has claimed that he's simply a Sawatch County rancher and subdistrict member, but he conveniently leaves out at water meetings that he is a former campaign consultant, lobbyist, and deputy chief of staff for Governor Bill Owens. Coincidentally, also a principal for RWR. Last year at about this time, This American Land put together a video that you can find on YouTube and interviewed Sean Tonner and talked to some people about this issue. Our vision is to move 22,000 acre feet uh, from the San Luis Valley via pipeline up to the Platte River and then floated along the river into Denver. And uh, so it's, it's a big vision. 
But if San Luis Valley farmers sell their dwindling water supplies to them, it could destroy the region's scenic lands and cripple its economy. So just like the classic Greek mythological creature, the Hydra, as soon as one water export head gets lopped off, another has grown in its place. And what we know of the proposal so far does sound fairly familiar if you think back to sustainable water resources. The information and facts, quote unquote, tend to move around kind of based on which audience uh, RWR is speaking to. But what has remained consistent is that 22,000 acre feet of water is proposed to be sent to the Front Range for the enrichment of RWR and to meet the demands of a fast growing urban population. They've again brought up this idea of a $50 million community fund for Sawatch County children, police, and firemen to help soothe the sting. All of this because apparently the San Luis Valley is just sitting on a vast amount of water that we seem to not know what to do with. I'm not going to deny water demand is really tough to administer right now, regardless of what part of Colorado you live in. But the question has to be asked, is this water project for the benefit of a rural community or is it taking advantage of it? I'm going to let you answer that question for yourself, but first let's go through the claims of RWR and compare it with the data and hard facts that are available from multiple water districts and the Division of Water Resources and can be found in some of these places that I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to take the time to point out every single one, but there are a couple of biggies that seem to crop up over and over. The first is this billion acre feet claim that is completely renewable. There is no scientific data to back up this assertion. In fact, the only place it has ever been found is in an old USGS survey from the 70s. In 1971, a geologist estimated the levels of water in the aquifers. He later noted, though, when testifying under oath in another trial against another export plan, that he had miscalculated his estimate. Further court decisions, including the Colorado Supreme Court, studies, and the state of Colorado's Rio Grande Decision Support System groundwater model, have shown that there's no unused or unappropriated water in the basin. However, that huge number sounds really good, so why let facts get in the way of using it? What also sounds good is the beautiful imagery of this vast ocean-like aquifer. Now, when I teach about groundwater to elementary school students, I ask them to close their eyes and tell me what they imagine when they hear the word groundwater. Most admit to thinking of underground lakes. I then have to burst their bubble by explaining, as every person who is familiar with scientific concepts knows, that aquifers are merely holding areas of wet dirt. Soil that is permeated with water and increases in pressure according to how much water is pushed into that soil. So imagining an ocean of water just sitting underneath the San Luis Valley waiting for that drinking straw to be tapped in is indeed beautiful. But it's just not accurate. The other claim that I want to point out um, as wholly inaccurate is the tag at the top of the website that claims that this is a state-approved project. In no way has any state government water official approved this project. Yes, the state water engineer is monitoring the groundwater situation in the San Luis Valley closely. Yes, subdistricts and water districts are working with the courts to ensure 
that no injuries are occurring, and that all rules and regulations are being followed. But no, the state itself has not sanctioned this project. In fact, the Colorado Water Plan has very clearly outlined that any transfer of water from one basin to another will not be taken lightly. The other claim that I want to push back against here is the economic claim and the promise of a $50 million community fund. Now, I am very aware of just how much our population in the Valley struggles to make ends meet. Before I worked with the water community, I spent time working with one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the Valley, which serves homeless and food insecure. I know exactly how poor most of our counties really are. But our counties also recognize a $50 million Band-Aid when they see it. This is, in my mind, just a ploy designed to distract attention away from just how much money would actually be gained from this project. Money that's going to make that $50 million look like a drop in the proverbial bucket. I would also like to point out that this fund is not actually available to the entire San Luis Valley, just Swatch County. But I do encourage you to go onto the website and see for yourself just how many statements sound pretty, but aren't backed up by actual facts. The first thing that you're going to see on the website is the perfect example. Their tagline is best for the San Luis Valley, best for the environment, and best for Colorado. But keep that in mind as you go through the site and then go over to another site, protectsanluisvalleywater.com. This is a website that I'm really happy to share with you and highly encourage you to walk through it as well, especially after going through RWRs. ProtectSanLuisValleyWater.com was created specifically to address these fallacies perpetuated on RWR's website and their social media, such as the ones I've already mentioned. On the Protect San Luis Valley website, you can find fact sheets that give a myth versus fact approach to the claims made by RWR, and those use scientific data and reputable sources like engineering firms, the Colorado Division of Water Resources, and the Rio Grande Decision Support System. It also gives a great overview of exactly what the local community thinks about this project, from the number of organizations who are opposed to the statements of opposition that are offered by county and city administrations. The main point that this Protect San Luis Valley water site makes is exactly how much water we don't have, and therefore the real-life consequences of exporting any amount of water out of the basin. RWR conveniently leaves out what it means to be an over-appropriated basin. It means we have no extra water to spare. There's no billion-acre-feet ocean just waiting, like I said, for that straw. Well owners are now subject to newly passed rules and regulations that monitor every acre-foot pumped. Additionally, every water right, every well, has an impact on Colorado's downstream obligations through the Rio Grande Basin Compact. As the website so succinctly states, overappropriation means that the amount of water withdrawn by legally permitted wells exceeds the amount of water refilling those aquifers. As a result, there is no water available that can leave the valley to the front range or anywhere else for that matter without disrupting the local economy's water supply. So that's a very far cry from RWR's claim that we're sitting on a completely renewable gold mine. In fact, I also find it fairly ludicrous during this time of extreme drought and the consequent strain on everyone's water resources to claim that exporting water in any fashion will not have an impact on the environment or economy, except in a good way. 
Renewable Water Resources is making a huge effort to peddle their project's supposed benefits through a variety of means. Not only their website and social media posts, but spending who knows how much on a cold call phone survey that took place last year about this time. Since I have a local phone number, I can personally vouch for the questions and framing since I received a call. The worst part of it, in my opinion, was how the misinformation was framed into the question, such as the billion acre feet claim or the claim that the aquifer, which was not defined as confined or unconfined, is completely renewable. So there was no way of disputing what the surveyor was saying. It was extremely frustrating not to have the option of saying the facts that you are using are wrong. And therefore, this entire question is invalid. A few months later, RWR also sent the survey out again online. But now they're trying to use the phone and online survey to bolster their claims about the benefits of this project and how, to quote them, the more people learn, the more they like it. But based on the loose use of facts in the question, any result from the surveys should be treated with caution, and I believe taken with a heaping big grain of salt. Renewable Water Resources has been asked multiple times to provide sources for their claims, but so far there have been none. But I prefer to make decisions that will have a far-reaching impact on multiple parts of a community based on accuracy and facts from verifiable scientific sources. Sources like the Colorado Division of Water Resources and other science-driven organizations who don't have skin in the game. There certainly seem to be definite patterns among the previous three attempts and this latest one. In all of them, there's the supposition that outsiders know best how to use San Luis Valley water. There's also a pattern of presenting the idea of selling water as wholly altruistic, beneficial for the community and no real mention of how much money these companies will actually stand to make. We should certainly question those who lack transparency, transparency that is relevant and significant to the issue. San Luis Valley water entities are being as upfront as possible about our water situation. Renewable Water Resources has not offered scientific evidence to support their claims or been transparent about who is involved or what they stand to gain. There is a contact form and phone number listed on RWR's website. Please contact them with your questions and let me know if you hear anything back because their track record of response so far has been 0% with the community members that I have spoken with. We do know any water leaving this basin is going to have a profound impact on our farmers and ranchers and on our communities, on our environment, and on our future generations. It is a difficult time to make a living in agriculture. There's no doubt about that. We also can't and should not judge the choices that people are making on behalf of their own families and futures. But keeping that in mind, I encourage you once again to go through RWR's website and then read the facts available at Protect San Luis Valley Water. Decide for yourself if this project truly benefits the entire San Luis Valley. Thank you for taking the time to gain some awareness around this project. Thank you also to the Colorado Water Conservation Board and Rio Grande Basin Roundtable for supporting our public education, participation, and outreach projects. Take care, and for more information about water happenings in the San Luis Valley, visit the Rio Grande Basin Roundtable website to join our mailing list and check us out on Facebook.